we've been exploring these two questions of what is pain and how do we relate to it. So the last segment, we were just looking again more closely at what is pain, what is this experience, what is it made of, these different sensations, the uh, quality of unpleasantness, and then the, possi- and then the resistance that comes up around it. Uh, for our, our last segment today, I want to come back to the second question of how do we relate to pain in a more skillful way? One of the most important ways to find balance and resilience with pain and illness is to cultivate positive mind states. So to actually turn the volume up on the goodness that we experience. Um, Qualities like gratitude and appreciation, kindness, generosity, compassion. These, these are qualities of the heart that are uplifting, that bring joy and well-being into our life. And they're qualities that we can consciously, intentionally strengthen and cultivate through meditative practices, uh, through paying attention to them, and through actual actions in our life. You know, uh, Generosity is about giving and doing as much as reflecting, you know, and it doesn't just mean giving money. It means, you know, uh, giving your time when you're talking to someone, really showing up and being fully present is an act of generosity. You know, it's a very simple way to practice giving and that's nourishing when we, when we see it in that light. So, um, I want to focus on two different qualities, uh, this afternoon, um, as, as just kind of representative qualities for uh, turning, for increasing the kind of baseline of well-being that we experience as a, as a way of working with pain. Um, so uh, the first is gratitude. And um, this is something that's counterintuitive at first. You know, when we, when we become sick or if we have pain, uh, there's a lot of loss. There's, there's something that's taken away from us. And so the, the response often is one of contraction energetically as we've been exploring that sense of, I no longer have what I used to have. Therefore, there is a lack and I need something to fill that. And so if we don't look carefully, um, that can turn into a never-ending cycle of chasing to try to fill something inside. The way out, paradoxically, is actually to recognize and appreciate what we already have. To see the, the, uh, the goodness, the joy, the, the blessings that are already in our life and appreciate them. And that brings a sense of, um, of fullness, of, of contentment, of a sense of I have enough already, which is a huge resource, a huge gift. Rather than experiencing uh, the conditions that we're facing uh, as, a, as, um, as a burden or as, uh, as a, with a sense of poverty, 
but to actually tune in to uh, the things that we can appreciate. And that's not to, it's not to deny the, the pain or the loss that's there, but it's not to, but it's, it's not allow, it's being careful that we, that we don't let that become the whole picture and expanding our vision to see, uh, to see the, the bigger, the bigger perspective, you know, the things that we do have in our life. So it's one of the great insights of any contemplative practice that, um, that we can have an impact on our own mental state through what we do with our attention. When we pay attention to uh, the things that we don't like, the things that aren't going well, the things that we don't have, that brings up certain mind states. When we pay attention to the things that bring us joy, the things that we find beauty and the things that we appreciate and feel grateful for, it brings up other mind states. So uh, these, these skills of enhancing the beautiful mind states um, are essential for working with uh, difficulty in life, whether it's physical pain or illness or emotional loss, but actually having a foundation of well-being inside. And there are um, whole suites of practices within the Buddhist tradition for enhancing uh, the positive mind states of loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. These are called the divine, ab- the divine abidings, the um, uh, kind of sublime states of mind that we as human beings can experience that we can actually deepen. Um, just as an aside, I, I'm, uh, in March I'm teaching a three-day uh, course here, a non-residential retreat on um, cultivating these qualities as a foundation for, for well-being in life. So I want to um, turn our attention now to, um, to the quality of compassion, which is so essential um, for finding balance and healing with pain and illness and difficulty in life. It's, it's, it's really... Uh, I would say as essential as balance for learning how to be with pain. Uh, Without compassion, the heart is rigid and uh, doesn't have the the strength uh, or the tenderness to to process pain and to learn from it. So compassion is uh, within the Buddhist tradition. It's an it's one as one facet of the heart, um, one facet of the uh, open, balanced heart. The general orientation of the heart is towards goodwill. So a heart that is um, free from self-centeredness and confusion and uh, con- the contortions of greed and fear. Uh, will naturally orient towards experience with a sense of kindness and warmth. Like, may all be well. When that open heart meets pain and suffering, its response is compassion, which is the movement towards suffering to see if we can help. As opposed to 
our habitual conditioned responses to suffering and pain, to pull away, to avoid, to judge, to blame, to become ashamed or humiliated, to recoil in disgust or fear or shame. Compassion is a very strong quality. It takes a lot of courage and strength to actually turn towards and stay with that which is difficult and painful. And it's, it's, the, it's that ability to turn towards suffering and see if we can help alleviate it. Not, necess- not to fix it, but to just be available to help. And again, it's the understanding in um, many spiritual traditions and also many forms of psychology is that this is an innate quality that this is something that's innate in a human being. If we see a young child that's lost and scared in tears, what do we do? You know, are you okay? Where are your parents? Don't, it's going to be okay. We'll find them, right? We're right there. If you see a, an animal that's hurt, you know, the heart reaches out. Uh, There are two words in the Buddhist tradition that are translated as compassion. They have slightly different meanings. I want to talk about them because they each highlight a different aspect of compassion. Uh, One word is anukampa. And kampa, kampati, the word kampati in Pali means to tremble or resonate. And anu is a prefix that means with. So anukampa is the heart that trembles or quivers in resonance with the suffering of others. So I I prefer to translate this word as empathy rather than compassion, because to me that, that really speaks to the quality of empathy, which is this capacity to feel with others, with their joy as well as with their sorrow, right? We can have empathy for someone's happiness and joy. That's called mudita, sympathetic or appreciative joy in uh, the Buddhist tradition. But in terms of compassion, um, anukampa, the, the, the empathic part of compassion is that capacity to feel with, to resonate with the suffering of another. And you look at the, uh, the Latin roots for the, our word in English, compassion, to suffer with. It's right there in the Latin, to suffer with. The other word that's translated as compassion in the Buddhist text is karuna. And this is the word that's, that's used for compassion in the four Brahma Viharas, these four sublime uh, abidings. And karuna is related to the word karma, which literally means action. So embedded within the word in Pali for compassion is action. So compassion is very much connected to this readiness to help, this willingness to act to alleviate suffering on behalf of others. So compassion has these two aspects to it. It has this aspect of being with, of presence. Right? And sometimes that is what's needed. Sometimes that in and of itself is the action to alleviate suffering. It's just the presence. But it also has the readiness 
it has the um, the potential for engaging in action to help. It's um, it's strange and and tragic, but true. It seems to me, at least, that um, these days it's a lot easier to have compassion for others than to have compassion for ourselves. Kristen Neff, who I know some of you have studied with, um, and um, Chris, what's his last name? Germer, thank you. Chris Germer um, have done a lot of work on this um, uh, to the benefit of many. Um, researching self-compassion, um, systematizing the practice of self-compassion and disseminating it in popular culture. It's really, really beautiful to see the work that they're doing. Compassion for ourselves is just like having compassion for others. So reflect on, you know, wh- how it feels to have compassion for a friend who's in pain. What does it take? First, first, we need to notice that they're in pain, right? We actually have to slow down enough. We have to have enough space inside to recognize, hey, are you all right? right? If, we're, if we're consumed with ourself, if we have an agenda, if we're going too quickly, we miss it. You know, or even if someone tells us, we're like, oh, I'm so sorry, that's terrible, and we move on. We don't really let it in. So we have to show up. We have to be here and notice the suffering. When we, can, when we can allow ourselves to notice it, to let it in, then the heart softens. We, we, we can be moved by the suffering. And then the natural response is this reaching. To see, are you okay? Here, let me be with you in that. What can I do to help? Compassion connects us. This is one of the um, beautiful insights in the Buddhist path is that it's not our greatness that connects us. It's not the vision of, you know, uh, this ideal human being and the heights that we can attain. It's our pain and our suffering. It's our frailty and our mortality that connects us, our vulnerability, the fact that we all grow old, we all get sick, we all make mistakes, we all lose things and people that we love. That's what connects us. And and compassion opens the opens the gateway to that connection. To feel to feel that shared humanity with others. Um, the practice of mindful self-compassion has a very nice framework for enumerating a few different qualities of having compassion for oneself. Um, They talk about the difference between having kindness rather than judgment towards ourselves. So this is one place we can check and look and see, you know, am I beating myself up? Am I judging myself or creating standards for myself or can I bring a sense of kindness? Compassion, having compassion for oneself means 
understanding the difference between being aware of an experience, being mindful of it, and becoming overly identified with it. This is who I am. This is who I always will be. This is, this is all of what I am in my whole life versus just being aware of an experience. And the more we're able to contact uh, these places of difficulty and vulnerability in ourself with kindness, with awareness, the more, as I was saying, it connects us with others. And this is the third hallmark of self-compassion, is that it opens us to shared humanity, a sense of common humanity, rather than isolation. When I was um, uh, at various points when I was sick, um, I would reflect on it's very easy when you're sick, as many of, many of us know, it's very easy to feel alone, to feel isolated. And particularly if it limits your physical mobility, you can literally be isolated, not have contact with other human beings as frequently. But when we go into the experience with compassion and awareness, we can begin to, to feel and sense Um, many, many other people have felt this before. Many others are feeling this right now. And we can even have have a wish, a compassionate wish, you know, through my experiencing this awareness, may others be free of this pain in some way. You know, may my uh, bearing this consciously lead to some benefit and good in the world. So when we can have compassion for ourselves, it connects us rather than separating us. One of my first meditation teachers, a man by the name of Godwin Samararatne, I met him in India in 1997 in Budgaya. Uh, He had a really beautiful saying that he would repeat regularly. He would talk about, uh, he would say, learn to be your own best friend. He would say, this meditation practice is about learning to be your own best friend. And he he would say to us, he's this tall, very, very dark-skinned, thin Sri Lankan man with a very beautiful kind of lilting South Asian accent, which I I won't um, uh, try to to imitate. But he would say... um, Sometimes, when I don't feel so good, I like to say to myself, in a very gentle way, it's okay to not feel okay. That's self-compassion. So some of you were asking earlier, what do I do with the anger? You let it be. She's gone. She left. What do I do? What do we do with the pain? It's okay to not feel okay. That's bringing in compassion. It doesn't have to change, but there can be tenderness with it. There's another famous uh, meditation master uh, of the last century, a woman by the name of Deepama. Many of you may have heard of her. If you haven't, um, they probably have her book in the bookstore. It's called Knee Deep in Grace. If you haven't read it, go get it. It's amazing. Um, she had an even simpler phrase. 
this this came to me through Joseph, who studied with Deepama, so he passed this on to me. Her mantra was just, it's okay. It's okay. That's a form of self-compassion. So, you know, when the migraine is at that level of 10, right, or the pain is that intense, sometimes that's all we need to do is just bringing that sense of tenderness to our experience to just say, it's okay. It's okay. And to just hold the pain, to hold the fear, the uncertainty, the loneliness, all of it, to embrace it with a sense of tenderness. It's okay. And this this kind of compassion, this kind of uh, tenderness, um, it opens the heart and uh, it's transformative. It opens the possibility for, for grief and mourning, which is an essential ingredient in healing. Uh, <clears throat> when um, I got Lyme disease... And I, I'm doing really well now. But when I when I first got the uh, the tick bite and developed the the Lyme and another co-infection, um, it was a very wild time in my life. I had just left uh, the monastery. I had been in uh, white robes for two and a half years. I left the monastery. I got Lyme disease, and I put my 70 year old father in the hospital for a systemic uh, infection. Uh, all, all at the same, within the matter of like literally a week, all of that happened. And, conti- and then things continued to unfold like that for a while. And I was his primary caregiver and healthcare advocate and um, very stressful, demanding time while I was sick and trying to figure out my own healthcare and so forth and giving myself injections. And it was a very, very stressful time. And I was talking to one friend on the phone uh, about that time, uh, during that time. And um, just telling her, I, I remember I, sa- I said something like, I, I feel like I've been taking care of myself in such a profound and fundamental way. Like it's taken so much energy just to get through. And at a certain point in the conversation, she looked at me and she said, I'm so, so Sorry that this happened. And it was, it was so healing that to receive that compassion from her. And it gave me the space to weep, to cry, to, to mourn at that particular time, the loss of health that I had known. And it was a very essential uh, transition in understanding what was happening and coming to terms with it, being able to accept it. And it, it's, it's compassion that, that, uh, that tenderizes the heart and opens the possibility for, for, that, uh, for that kind of catharsis, for that kind of re- release and um, deep acceptance of what is. It doesn't always have to be, you know, like like that, sort of some big release. Sometimes it's just very small things. I spent many, um, many hours in my 20s with, with my digestive condition just doing metta for my tummy, 
know, just my hands on my tummy and just also in doing gratitude. The parts of our body that often are in pain are the parts that are working the hardest. And how do we treat them? You know, we hate them. We wish they would go away. We wish they would stop. And they're actually trying to do their job the best they can. And so to actually to have gratitude, to have kindness and compassion for the body. So one of the main practices in certain Vipassana traditions is the body scan, scanning the attention through the body. So you can do a body scan with, with loving kindness or with compassion or with gratitude, bringing that quality of care and tenderness to each part of the body, wishing it well, wishing it well, going through the whole body. So I want to um, I want to do a short guided meditation um, to finish our day on uh, finding compassion for ourselves, and uh, and then we'll have one more uh, one more period uh, to ask some questions and have a short discussion before we close. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support Oren's work, you can donate at orenjsofer.com forward slash support.